Welcome to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. Howdy, and welcome to another edition of Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. I'm Harry Alexander. Bunker to France is here. Yep. And Todd Roberts is in Los Angeles someplace. And we got a squeaky thingy uh, where, where, here. What, what Todd is doing there, but... Uh, and we got a couple of fine folks yeah, sitting here with us just listening in. So there. This will be fun. Groupies. Groupies, yeah. All right. And our guest is uh, filmmaker Chris Burgard. He was uh, supposed to join us last time around, but uh, business he had a called... Job. Uh, yeah, business called, and so uh, he had to go do his his business thing. So uh, before we get to Chris, uh, you got any housekeeping there you want to take care of? No, I, I, I just want to get to this because this is just so much good stuff. <laughs> well, uh, birthdays, we celebrate birthdays. Oh, well, yeah. To, May, to 20, May 26th, of course, was, was John, John Wayne's and birthday. And? John Wesley Harden's yes. birthday as well. And tomorrow is, is Clint Walker well, Day. Exactly. Giant. And Monday, uh, or yeah, Monday is uh, uh, Clint Eastwood's birthday. Yes. And... Now who? Yours. Nope. <gasps> I know. That was just a reminder so we wouldn't forget to bring you presents. I know. But that's okay. And I did forget because I got some presents <laughs> for you. <laughs> anyway, let's get on to the program. Chris Burgard, welcome to our show. How are you, sir? Every day is, every day is Christmas, fellas. Every day. There you go. <laughs> Uh, you open the pra- uh, packages every day? <laughs> He's got the packages to open, yeah. I'm sure. A filmmaker most known for your movie in 2007, Border. Let's uh, let's get into that and talk about that. Oh, Lord, I peaked over 13, 14, 15 years ago. That's kind of sad. Um, <laughs> Man, he really gets to the cuts to the chase, doesn't he? I wasn't That's okay. That I was big, big news back in 1968, so oh well. <laughs> I don't even remember. I was once world famous in Kenosha, Wisconsin, so that got that going for me. There you go. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I wanted. I wanted to talk to him about growing up in Wisconsin and and his dad. And hey, you know, guy, you were dead ringer for your dad. Well, I take that as a huge compliment. It is. uh, What I I learned. I grew up thinking thinking if I could be half the man my dad was, I'd, I'd do okay. I love that photo of your dad and your mom and the horse there. And I had a coat just like the one he was wearing. So, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, you, you, you know, you're, you're, living, you're living in some ways the cowboy dream, you know, the, a, a beautiful family. You know, you've got, you've got things that you're passionate about. And uh, that's what we want to talk about today is, I think, for me anyway, is about your passion because you've got a ton of it, man. And Todd is back, right, Todd? I am back, and I apologize. I don't know what happened, but there it was. Stuff happens. Um, Todd, you're the one who suggested we have Chris on, so why don't you go ahead and do a more better better introduction? (laughs) A mo better, better. Well, I made you a know, living with his mouth. <laughs> I, I I got to know Chris because um, his cousin, who is also a real cowboy, um, uh, you know, would when he and I were hanging out, his cousin's name was Sean Nash, and we'd hang out and talk, and we'd do stuff together and whatever. He'd always bring up his cousin, his you know, well Chris this and Chris that, Chris, and I was like, what? who's this guy this Chris guy and he was like well he's real deal and I was like well I thought Sean his cousin was the real deal so he kept talking about this his buddy friend cousin Chris who was the real deal I thought oh my god I'm I'm probably getting myself into something more than I can handle because they'll both sniff me out as a tin horn drugstore cowboy quicker than uh, you can eat a sandwich and uh you know, as as soon as I met Chris, we we hit it off because we had a a very similar passion in more than one area. First of all, it was film. Second of all, it was the West. Third of all, we both loved to go shooting. Um, and he's the only other person. I'll tell you this. This is how I knew I liked Chris Burgard a lot. I said, uh, "Great, let's go shoot." He, he, you like to shoot? Yes, I like to shoot. I like to shoot. Great. When do you want to go? Any time. I said, okay, when? What, what does that mean? He goes, if you want to go tomorrow morning, we'll go tomorrow morning. I'm ready. Uh, that's and right. I said, well, do I need to confirm with you? He goes, you never need to confirm with me when I say that I'm going to go shooting. 
I'll be there. Nice. And we set a date, and he was there before I was, and, you know, that's just the way Chris is, and, and he has a passion for life. And uh, the other thing I love about Chris Burgard is that he has no room in his life uh, you know, as so many say, or Shakespeare said, I, I don't suffer fools or drunkards. Chris does not suffer uh, fools, drunkards, fools uh, in general, or should I say any BS. He has no room in his life for, for BS or baloney. He wants people who are real, people who are committed to what they believe in, and let's go do it. The old and, American uh, values. You yeah. know, he, he's, he's the real thing. He really is. Nothing wrong with those kinds of thoughts. Yeah. Absolutely. What do you like to shoot, Chris? Not who, um, but what. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, out here, when I have to shoot, usually coyotes, which I, I don't, you know, I'm getting to that point in my life where I don't like to kill things anymore. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, you know, sometimes, you know, we'll get it. Well, like one day we lost 27 chickens in one day, so uh, we had to make an example, and mm-hmm. so we did that. Um Usually, actually, mostly these days, I'll, I'll take my kids and my wife to the range, or I've got the special forces buddies that will get out and, and get a little unrusty. Um, sometimes these targets, actually, uh, last week on this new picture that we're doing, I was out with my buddy Nick Searcy, and um, hmm. we were shooting for a scene in this movie out at the, the, the gun club out by us. So uh, instead of shooting paper targets, we put up pictures of, of Marxist guys like... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Carl Marx and Lennon and nice. so it was kind of nice because it's cool. Ready the right, uh, I like ready it. Left. Nice. Yeah, so. that's a trend. Yeah. Yeah, I like well, it. Well, my my buddy Nick likes to he likes to kill communists. Well, is this a we documentary or, or a, a regular movie? Yes, yeah, sir. No, it's it's a, it's a documentary and it's about um. Uh, here we go. You guys can be the first public guy to know this, but it's a documentary about the truth about what happened in D.C. on January 6th. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, this will be, this is your second documentary with uh, with him then, isn't it? Yeah, we seem to have too much fun together, so we decided we'd do it again. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was reading about America, America, and that, I was watching a couple of little clips from it, too. And I love it that Cersei, the man in the suit. <laughs> yeah. It's, Nick, if you're not familiar with Nick Thursday, because uh, you should be, because he's an international film and television star, yeah. very big star. Um, but no, Nick was, uh, you, he's one of those faces, you would absolutely recognize him. He's done, he, I think he's been in five or six Oscar nominated uh, movies. Yes. And he, he starred in that uh, U.S. Marshals uh, thing with Tim Oliphant, Justified. Mm-hmm. And Nick, Nick, Nick's just a heck of a guy. He and I in Hollywood were uh, two fellas that kind of took it on the chin for, you know, they call us conservatives. I think we're just Americans. But, right. you know, mm-hmm. Apparently Hollywood has a problem with that, so mm-hmm. it is what it is. So we make independent movies now. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's like he's, he's a guy, the kind of guy, and you're the same kind of guy, that you want to do something that has value, but yet still entertaining. And, you know, and you, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to blow up half of the world with special effects to do that. It's just a good story and good acting. Well, it, that, yeah. It, good stories, yeah. And, you know, I never thought I would go into the documentary world. And my, my whole background came out of doing, you know, I was on a TV show called Growing Pains for a while and did different series, tour of duty, uh, did a movie called '84 Charlie Mopic, which is probably one of, one of the vehicle, one of one of the shows I'm most proud of. Um, it's well regarded. We, thank you. We, after I think the film had been out for like 30 years, and we got invited to Reno to do a thing with the Veterans Administration because they were using that film to help um, in therapy with Vietnam vets and also young Gulf War vets. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was interesting because we went and screened the film and they had therapists standing by because that film allowed folks to talk about things about their combat service with their family members that they could never bring up before, even after 30, 40 years. So it was, yeah. it was pretty much an honor. I mean, it's not too often you get to make a movie that ends up getting you to do too good, you know. So I, I, cool. knew, I knew guys in Southeast Asia uh, who were combat uh, photographers, combat uh, cameramen, 
um, up in the choppers. And the base I was stationed at up in northeast Thailand, uh, we'd go out for, uh, we were search and rescue. And uh, the, the film that this guy, these guys would bring back was incredible, yeah. to say the least. Just incredible. Yeah, my Lord, that, 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 is, that is, well, thank you first for your service, but my Lord, for those who haven't seen the movie, that's what the entire movie was about. Yeah. Um, 84 Charlie Mulpick, that was the guy's MOS. Um, he was a, he was a combat photographer, and um, it, it, the whole movie is one mission in the Vietnam Highlands told through his eyes. And uh, I got to tell you, you know, I, it was just such an honor making that movie. Well, it's well regarded. You know, it's it's funny, but uh, uh, Leonard Maltin really he wrote about it and he really liked the movie. He thought it was an exceptional movie. Thank you. Thanks, sir. Well, you know, it's just, this is interesting too because this was this was around the same period that you were doing your your trauma uh, trauma et, uh, epics, wasn't it? <laughs> oh my gosh, trauma! Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I you know I I come off growing pains and I had saved some money and my my, my buddy back in Wisconsin had he's a pretty stressful guy he had some money we got our friends to put a bunch of money in and we decided to go make this horror movie and it was a first film I directed and it turned into a, a, a pretty big adventure and um, we had a producer that ended up stealing half our budget so it took me almost 10 years to finish that movie but uh, we did get it done um, actually thanks to my wife because I met my wife and you know long story short my career went backwards in Hollywood I, I came out to Hollywood I was one of Matthew Broderick's dance doubles at Ferris Bueller's day off so I came out here and uh Got into, um, I came out here and first I was doing like music videos and stuff like that with, uh, Kenny Ortega and then that led into, into doing TV and film and then TV and film led to writing and then directing. And, uh, after this guy, uh, ripped us off on this feature film, I got so burnt out in Hollywood, I went out and I started riding bulls and got into, because of, and with my cousin Sean, got into what I, I consider um, a very elite and very special club of, of people in Hollywood that do that do horse stunts, the horse community. Mm-hmm. Um, and these guys, this goes all the way back. Their lineage goes all the way back to the beginning of Hollywood before Hollywood is even Hollywood. They were the um, first they stars. Were the, they were the first stars. They were the first stuntmen. And um, if I'm not rambling too much, Todd, would you like me to address um, how Sean and I reconnected? Yeah, yes, please. No, you're not rambling at all. This is perfect. <laughs> So my cousin Sean, um, we're out doing this picture out in uh, Barstow called Purgatory. Mm-hmm. Was, uh, yeah, um, I love it. It was a, yeah. Um, Walter Scott was done coordinator. He's a he's a heck of a role for just a real great guy. He's a neighbor of mine out here now. And um, uh, Eric Roberts starred in it, and um, uh, Sam um, Sam Shepard. Um, Thank you very much. Sam Shepard and yeah, Randy me. Quaid and Randy Quaid, R.G. Yeah. Armstrong. That was Don one of the Dial, last things yeah. he did. Yeah, Donnie so, Wahlberg. It was pretty awesome being on this show, and um, we're wrapping up the last night. We're sitting in this bar, and uh, we're sitting talking, and someone said something about Missouri, and I start talking about Missouri, and my family being. I grew up in Wisconsin, but my my mom, grandma's side of the family all came from Missouri, and he's like. And I started talking um, uh, about my uncle Gerald. He goes, he goes, where in Missouri? I said, Macon. He goes, who's your uncle? I said, Gerald, Gerald Morrow. And he goes, what's he do? I said, well, he used to have car dealerships, but he's a, uh, he's a, uh, he was, he was, he was a judge for a while. And and him and and Joe, they got armed horses. And favorite horse he ever had was this this gelding he had called Big Red. Sean looked at me like I just called him a nasty name or something. And he looked at me and he goes, and all week long, we've been around, and all week long, the crew's calling me Sean. Sean, I'm like, my name's not Sean, my name's Chris. But apparently on a horse, me and Sean look a lot alike. So Sean goes, well, how you doing, cousin? Because uh, that was his uncle, too. And I hadn't seen Sean since he was five years old, and we were hunting turtles in a pond, and he lost my car barrel. So I wasn't real fond of him when he was five. And here we are meeting in a bar, and we just worked on this western for for a week together. So, um, wow, that that was pretty fun. And, and Sean was instrumental when we did Border. He ran the second unit, and uh, when we did Border, that got a little western doing that. And uh, 
I just I just couldn't have made that movie without Sean. He's just a hell of a guy. Hmm. And, you know, and I'm going to take and I'm going to take a, a, a second here to put a shameless plug out for my cousin. Sure. He uh, starred in a movie that my wife and I co-exec produced called Death and Deride a few years ago. Um, it was him and um, oh, what's her name? Denise Richards, um, Charlie Sheen's ex-wife. Really, really nice lady. Mm-hmm. They starred in this picture, Death and Deride, that we shot on my ranch and. I did the horses and the Liberty horses for, and Sean just did a heck of a job playing the, the good guy in that movie. Sony made a lot of money in that, so if you ever want to get the DVD, go see Destin Deride. <laughs> well, you know, I knew a couple of people that worked on Purgatory. And in fact, we uh, one of them we had on the show, uh, thanks to Todd Tell Reed, he was on her. Did you get the chance to, uh, he was the weapons specialist, did you get a chance to talk or meet with Tell? Well, I would imagine he was the fellow that gave me my forty-five every day in the Winchesters. Cause yep. <laughs> he would he would come out. There's one there's one shot. Oh gosh, I haven't thought this stuff in years. There's one shot where we had to ride up to the edge of this cliff and then shoot down over the hill. Um, mm-hmm. As the guys were going, and the problem with this cliff was it wasn't like a rock cliff that was just solid. It was kind of like a gravel thing. So if you got too close, it started breaking away. And I think I think we had like like thirty of us on horses. And, you know, when you're doing that, some of the fellows ride better than others, and you're on a horse that you may probably never had been on until that morning. So there's a lot of bumping and jostling going. You gallop up and halt and start shooting. So your buddy, and I'm pretty sure it was your buddy there that uh, when he was handing out the thirty thirties, um, I looked at him. I said, "You know, if this horse has ever been shot off before," and he goes, "Well, you can shoot off him once." <laughs> yeah, that, I was just gonna say that's the old that's the old yeah, Wrangler joke. Can you shoot off this camera. horse? Yeah, once. <laughs> well, did you know uh, Mark Brooks? You probably did. He was the Wrangler. Mark, Mark Brooks. He wrestled bears. Yeah. Yeah. He Mark Mark he was on that picture. He was he was pretty funny. Mark worked with uh, 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 another senior another neighbor of ours, uh, Tad Griffith, who is comes from a wonderful family of stunt riders and there's nothing the cats can't do with a horse or stagecoach hmm. and uh and uh yeah mark was on mark was on purgatory we would sit together on the bus on the way set every day because uh that, that that whole that whole film was oh man i, I could tell you stories i could tell you some stories about shooting on that picture that were just <laughs> too much fun probably shouldn't say in the public how cool but, uh, well i've got one more name for you and this fella, he actually he lived out there in uh, in Awadulce, your area. So you might have been neighbors at one time. But he was doing stunts. He's a good friend of mine, a family from up north, uh, Holbrook. I mean Winslow. But uh, Jeff Ohako, did you get to know Jeff? I did not, but I'm pretty sure. I know that name sounds pretty familiar. I'm pretty sure my cousin Sean's worked with him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Jeff did a lot of stunt work. He he ended up being a uh, stunt double for uh, Stallone for several pictures, and uh, but that's, heck that's of a guy. Good. The family's a ranching family. The uh, the uh, oh, up there at Winslow. I'm trying to think of it. the Chevron Buttes Ranch, uh, old Basque ranching family. I mean they they're they're part of early Arizona history. All right, we got to do our first commercial break. You're in tune with Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, Todd Roberts in Los Angeles. Our guest is Chris Burgard. And, uh, oh, by the way, if um, you didn't know this yet, you will now. Our podcasts are now available at Amazon Music. So do subscribe. We'll be back with much more of our show right after these very important messages. Do stay tuned. Yes, Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west, where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda, 
that's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond check and stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them and they'll help you as they did us design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. America, let me tell you about Sergeant Greg Anderson. Served two tours in Afghanistan, Bronze Star and Purple Heart recipient, and unemployed. The unemployment rate among transitioning service members is unacceptably high, much higher than the general population. Veterans are a proven commodity. They're mature, reliable, and hardworking. They deserve a chance to get back to work after serving their country. Do you really want to honor a veteran? Hire one. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. Coming to you from the great southwestern United States. Yes, sir, Bob. This is the Voices of the West. Oh, I am a lonely cowboy and I'm off on the Texas train. My train is cinching saddles and pulling bridle reins. But I can twist the lasso with the greatest skill and ease. Or open ride a Bronco most anywhere I please. We're back on Abel Franzi's of Voices of the West. Harry Alexander Bunker to France, Todd Roberts in Los Angeles. And uh, our guest is Chris Burgard. A little bit of uh, Ken Maynard as a singing cowboy there. It's a good he, thing. He was the first singing cowboy. Well, it's a good thing he kept the day job. Well, you know. He could play the guitar, <laughs> he the could, fiddle, yes. and the mandolin. Yes, he maybe could. Maybe the banjo. I, I'm yeah. not sure about that one. I know, but, but you know. Uh, and he was the one that really pushed to have Western, old-time Western cowboy music in the movies. I think he was a much better actor than he was singer. But well, I like it because that's the authentic that, I, I understand that. Yes, I understand that. Anyway. Our guest is Chris Burgard, filmmaker, and where are we going to go next, Bunker to France? Well, I want to I want to mention Chris's uh, lovely wife, Lisa, because uh, they are they're more than just partners in life. They're also partners in Little Bonanza Productions, uh, and I guess from what Chris was saying, from the very first time working together, they've been a team all through this time. And also mention his lovely daughter, Mac. Who is? I was looking at one of the pictures there, and I guess she was at a Jim Canna, but she's she won just about everything that they had to offer, and you know that and that's and I know that Chris, you know he he's been like a loving daddy, teacher, you know, uh, mentor, and I'd like for him to kind of talk about the family for a little bit if he would. Well, thank you so much for saying those kind things about about my family. Um, I can't take any credit for that. Um, that's my, uh, no, I'm, I'm serious. It, it, I, I, for those of you who know me and Todd, you can attest to this. I definitely married up, and people usually meet Lisa and I, and they're like, wow, she's awesome. What's that guy doing with her? Um, but um, I definitely married up with Lisa. It's kind of like you know, God was like, oh, that Burgard guy, we, we beat the heck out of him for a couple of years. Let's, let's send him Lisa. <laughs> and uh, our talk. Straighten you out. I I always call I always call Mac. Um, I always call her uh, Daddy's African souvenir because uh, we <laughs> made her when we were on honeymoon in Kenya. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty fun. But we were Zaka Zulu. We we, we we did a we did a we were on, on honeymoon in Kenya and then we did a Mediterranean cruise on the way back and a couple 
second day on the water, Lisa wakes up and says, I'm, I'm really seasick, and she wasn't feeling so good and doing this in the morning. I go, now you're pregnant. She goes, no, I'm probably seasick. <laughs> now it turns out she's pregnant. So, uh, and she's uh, like, how do you think I... How do you think we got pregnant just on our first, on our honeymoon? I said, Well, my dad said if you're going to do something, do it right. So I did. Yeah. You know. That's what honeymoons are for. Yeah. <laughs> so here we are, and my daughter. Oh my goodness, I'm so proud of her. She's 17 years old, just turned 17 yesterday. And oh. on this picture the other day, um, she she did such a great job wrangling and doing stuff. We got in the one situation that she needed. A, I needed to send somebody quick up on a horse up this pretty steep steep. Uh, great to uh, get somebody out of trouble and she was just go-to and did it and uh, you know I, I, at 17 years old I would any of my I would, I would tell Walter Scott or anybody else so you need her, her to wrangle or do some second unit stuff she's good to go yeah. and um, I'm just, just just very proud of her she's good 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 kid and um, I mean, she's, she's turned out to be quite a hand you don't see that very often with teenagers you do in ranching and farm in families. ranching and farm families yeah. but the urban life no. Well, you turn out monsters. Yeah, well, participation. You know, and, and I got to tell you, I got to tell you, this time, I've always you know, known that and felt that, and, you know, all of us have experienced that. But during this time of COVID, when um, kids couldn't go to school or they had to do Zoom or this or that, you just, I mean, it's hard enough on kids, but then you see these ranch kids, mm-hmm. they just excel. I mean, this, this year for my daughter's been one of her best years in her, in her high school education yet. She's She's just, you know, cause ranch kids. They don't, they don't give up. They don't quit. They never surrender. Yeah, and yeah it's a di- just, it, get it done. It's just a different lifestyle, and yeah, you got to get it done. And so many are homeschooled, and part of that homeschooling mm-hmm. is American values. Yeah, yeah, and that that's something that is so lacking. And I don't, I don't want to go too far down a rabbit hole. No, <laughs> you go as far as you, Chris. You go as far as you want down that rabbit hole. We'll be joining you. You know, we're we're, we're kind of like Bugs Bunny here. You yeah. know, our rabbit hole never ends. Yeah, we're we're on the well, we're on the same tune. We play the same tune, brother. <laughs> well, I will tell you that America. You know, we we won all our major wars, and our enemies learned a long time ago they couldn't hit us by invasion. Yep. But they could weaken us from infiltration. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I've been working on on and off the border for 17 years, and. Most of my my Leo buddies and my three letter guys I work with down there, we we've said for years that when you see in some states in America more people dying of opioid overdoses from yes. fentanyl and heroin than car accidents, that's not by accident. That fentanyl, that opioids, those are made in China. Mm-hmm. They partnered up with Mexican drug cartels to flood that into our nation. Mm-hmm. So, just. So to take America down now, instead of thinking just storming the beaches of Normandy, now our Normandy is right here on our laptops, our computers, our phones, mm-hmm. in our alleys, on our parking lots. You're looking at asymmetrical warfare. You're looking at at everything from information war to using bioweapons as far as, like, you know, uh, drugs. And I'll even go so far as to say this pandemic that we've been going through, this stuff doesn't happen by accident. Exactly. This is... America right now is, this is, we're, it's not so much that, and this is going to be hard for folks to hear, fellas, and dial me back if I'm being too hardcore for, go for it. For a, for a show. Um, it's not how do we save the republic. The republic is gone. The question we need to be asking ourselves is how do we get her back? Yep. Because you look at our rights, we've always taken for granted, freedom of speech, um, what they're doing the Second Amendment. It's cancel culture now, guys. Mm-hmm. If, if you even question or ask anything, you're gone. You're done. I mean, just a few weeks ago, we were getting kicked off of Facebook for even suggesting that the Wuhan virus came from a lab in China. Mm-hmm. You couldn't even talk about it. You would get kicked off social media. Now it's come out, thanks to Senator Rand Paul, that not only you know did it come from a lab, but we had Fauci and the next president that gave that lab money. Why is why is the United States of America giving money to a bio weapons um, uh, uh, factory in, in in China? I mean, this is this is deep, complicated stuff. But it's done in such a way, as in any color rev- revolution, that you're under attack before you even know it, which is right out of Sun Tzu. These so, these sorts of things would not have happened, would you suggest, back in 
the old Western time. Do, do you think these kinds of things would have happened, Chris? I don't think so. It absolutely could not have happened. And why? Because you had the, the strongest thing in America was the family. And you had a family centered on love of God and love of country. And you had a code. And people lived by that code. And, and kids grew up, even me growing up. You know, we, we followed the code of the West, you know. And that's gone. That, that moral fiber has purposely been attacked. And it, it happened on such a slow, water-boiling level that the frogs and the sheep didn't notice it. And here we are today. I mean, when you and I grew up, I'll, I'll, I'll say one thing. You know, it used to be you get in a fight in the bar, you win the fight, and either you settle, it's done, or you get drinks afterwards. But that, right. that doesn't happen now. Now you get in a fight in the bar, 30 people are going to jump on top of you. And if you make it through that, someone's going to shoot you on your way to your car. Yeah. Because it's no longer the code that we grew up with. And that's happening in all layers of our society right now. I mean, it used to be you know, the good guys wore white hats, bad guys wore black hats, and there was right and wrong. Well, right and wrong and good and evil have been hijacked um, in, in the namesake of tolerance and diversity and the whole movement we're going to. And it, it, it's really sad because if people really knew their history and they really knew who we are, you know, cowboys, I walk into, I walk into place, you know, Todd knows, I'm, I go over wearing Wranglers and cowboy hats. Um, people will judge you in a heartbeat. That's one of the reasons why in every one of my movies, I, I always wear same stuff. You walk into Black Hall of Congress. <laughs> yeah, I do that to throw people off. <laughs> uh, you walk, you walk into it, and people look at you. And, and same thing at Hollywood meetings. I can read a room in a heartbeat by who can't stand me, what their prejudices are, mm-hmm. just by the way I'm dressed. Mm-hmm. And it used to be, you know, that was that was a sign of the good stuff. But th- things have changed. And um, well, you like know, like I said, fellas, it's not by accident. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like here in Tucson. There, for years, Tucson was considered a cow town. Now, if you walk around downtown with a cowboy hat and a pair of boots, they look at you like you know you've come from somewhere else. Yeah. And oh yeah. You know, and if you got on a pair of shorts and sneakers, which I'm guilty of, you fit right in. You know, I feel I feel like a traitor sometimes. <laughs> so that's because they took over the university there, and yeah, big time. you know, you, you I, I worked that area um, is south of Tucson for a long time on the border out by Three Points. Yes, there, yes. Uh, and all those areas, and it's almost to the point where, like, there you're a rancher and you walk into town. I forget the name of that ho- that old hotel there. It's got a great restaurant in it. But and you'd walk in there, and, and people didn't like you. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, you're a cowboy. You must be this, that, or whatever. You're a rancher. You do this, that, that. and it's You're like, a troublemaker, wow. yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're just hit with such discrimination that it's, um, it, it's sad that that's where our country is getting to, but um, you know, I wanna, it I, is. I want to jump into something really deep and, and murky. Because, you know, I, I watched the uh, little clip from Border from the uh, rape trees. And uh, funny, I was at the VA yesterday, and, and I was telling the, uh, my practitioner and her new assistant there about the show and about that particular thing, uh, two ladies. And they both said, I've got to watch, I've got to listen to the show. And I think that in itself, just that one little segment, is such a eye-opener, and it's, it's frightening in some ways when you hear it. Should you talk about that? Yeah. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that, so, to start with, this is back in 2005, and a rape tree, when, when, when they, this is, in human trafficking, which is, you have to understand, the cartels, same guys that are bringing drugs across the border, are the same guys that are bringing um, people across the border. And some of that is for folks looking for a better life, wanting to get jobs. Some of it is they have criminal backgrounds. They can't come through port of entry. And a lot of it is children that they sell or women that are going to go into sex trafficking, and they just don't know it yet. So in a rape tree, to bring these, to bring these, these people over, they use, uh, we call them scouts or we call them coyotes. Um, the Mexicans call them playeros. Uh, or they call them chicken wranglers. 
And because they call the legal immigrants, they call them chickens. Um, So these rape trees, when you come across one of them, um, they'll take the women out of the group, and they may have their kids in the group, they may be single, they may have a husband there, and they'll take them away from the group, and they'll take them under these trees, and they'll, they'll rape them. And then to further humiliate them and to turn into a trophy tree, they'll hang hang their, their panties and their bras up in the the the, uh, the 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 branches of the tree. Sometimes there's a blanket there. Sometimes not. Usually it's like more sandy areas. And um, and we were running into these. The first the first ones I came across was was not too far from you in in uh, out in, in Arizona. And um, Man, when you sit with these women, I, I sat with two of them that had been that had been raped. Uh, one had been left behind, and she was just broken and just just broken. And try to console her, get her help. The other one, the same coyote that had raped her, was still there in this group while we waited for border patrol to get there. And wasn't a big muscular macho guy. He was could have been 15 he could have been 19 but he was scrawny and smarty and just nasty evil and this this girl that he had raped she was probably 16 17 she didn't walk like a human being she walked like a beaten dog she couldn't she couldn't stand up straight she couldn't look straight she couldn't look an eye she just shook all the time and every step she took was kind of um oh man the hand the hair stand up my arms are talking about this i've thought about this in years I, I've never seen a human being like this, and I'm a dad. I had a daughter, and um, yeah, it's, it's just so evil. And then and the look in this coyote's face, knowing that nothing was going to happen to him. Because every one of those people in the group that knew what he had done, they weren't going to say anything because before the cartels bring him over, they know where your family is, they know who your family is, and you say anything, you step out of line, they're going to kill your freaking family. Yeah. So this, this guy was just so protected, and this is the kind of evil we were seeing coming across the border. And this kid was a nobody. He was a nothing. He's just one of these guys that, you know, he's, he's probably lucky to make 600 bucks a load uh, bringing these guys back and forth from, um, huh. from Sassabee. But it, uh, the rape trees were real. And here's, here, this was the beginning of, of, of my education to how the world really worked. I thought that, gosh, we just filmed this stuff and let the world know how horrible it was we're the Americans. We're the good guys. We're going to fix this. I let President Bush know. I let John McCain know. They're going to fix this in a heartbeat. <laughs> and instead, it was kill the messenger. Um, yeah. Everybody from our government to Oprah Winfrey. We, we took it to Oprah Winfrey. We thought, hey, she's got to do a show on this. She's about saving women. Let's stop this. I got a letter from a lawyer telling me to go away and never come back. It's wow. like, this is this is hmm. an evil that's happening on our borders. And, and we can go into more of the stuff that's on the border. I mean, no, their world is rainbows and unicorns. And hey, we got to do our uh, uh, next commercial break here. On, uh, we're having a great conversation with filmmaker Chris Burgard. This is Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander Bunker de France and Todd Roberts are with you. We will be back with much more of our show right after these important messages. Do stay tuned. When looking for a property management company, here are some things you should consider. How long has the company been in business? What types of properties can they manage for you? And does the company give back to the community? Well, your search is over. The Paul Ash Management Company meets and exceeds those considerations. They've been in business in Tucson, Arizona since the 1960s. They manage all types of properties throughout Arizona and elsewhere, from residential to commercial to public sector properties. The Paul Ash Management Company also dedicates its time and resources to numerous community projects, including help funding the drive for the USS Arizona Memorial at the University of Arizona. You also want a property management company that puts you, the customer, first. First, contact the Paul Ash Management Company today at paulashmanagement.com and ask about the complete package or call 520-795-2100. That's 520-795-2100. The Paul Ash Management Company, property managers you can trust. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. 
operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club dates from 1948 and is now at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway. The club owns 80 acres and leases 300 more from Pima County that supports 50 trap fields, 15 ski fields, two five-stand fields, two sporting plays courses with 12 stations each, a 9,000-square-foot clubhouse, 200 full-service RV hookups for members, and free Wi-Fi. This expansive facility gives enough room to host major national and international events annually, bringing thousands of people to the community. Check it out at TucsonTrapAndSki.com. Hi everyone, it's Susan McRae and welcome to Chaparral Roundup. As you know, I've postponed the March event to October 1st, 2nd, and 3rd so we can all relax, have a great time with great dinners, a great lunch at the White Stallion Ranch, Q&A panels, screenings of a couple of our favorite High Chaparral shows, the documentary of Kent McRae so we can honor him during his favorite reunion, And we have a great silent auction to benefit the Robert F. Hoy and Kiva Hoy charity at the Tucson Medical Center. If you're already registered for March, you're automatically registered for October. But if you're not, you better register by September 17th. I look forward to seeing you all, and so does Don, with his confessions of an acting cowboy. You'll have fun. See you in October. For the Chaparral Roundup at Lodge on the Desert in Tucson, Arizona. Stranger, you just yupped yourself into a hole in the head. This is the Voices of the West. We're back on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, Todd Roberts. Our guest is filmmaker Chris Burgard. A little bit of Yosemite Sam in there. Older <laughs> Yep, yourself in a hole in the head. <laughs> uh, we're talking with uh, filmmaker Chris Berger. Chris, what's your favorite Western movie? Do you have one? Wow. On the spot. <laughs> I, yeah, probably Searchers would probably be the amen, first one. Amen, amen. The best amen, Western ever. Amen. And, oh, and number two would probably have to be <laughs> Angel and the Madman. Our guest here is going, come on. Which one? Which is your favorite? Western? What? Uh, the Winchester 77? 77? 73. 73. <laughs> yeah. 73. I do that every time. Every single time. <laughs> you just added it. You Chris, what was your second choice? Angel and the Bad Man. Oh, oh great movie. Oh, You're a Wayne man. On this, it was on this morning. Yeah. Yes, it was. Yeah. Yep. Oh, man. I got to, uh, I, was, I was blessed, uh, gosh, about 25 years ago, maybe 30 years ago, to go on a national tour for American Movie Classics. They were making Wednesdays, John Wayne's Days. So they, they sent three of us out there, and we we do morning shows in the morning, and then we go visit, like, cancer hospitals and children's wards. And uh, we, we just watched all those old movies back-to-back, and you, you forget, you see them as a kid, but then you forget how good they are. Oh, wait, I lied to you guys. <laughs> um, first movie I ever saw, True Grit. Uh, that, that's also freaking... You know, I mean, don't ask me a hard question like, what's my favorite one? There's too many good ones. Well, you do, <laughs> do like I do. I don't do favorites. I do, I, you know, like they'll say best, I'll go outstanding. Yeah, favorite. Exceptional. Yeah. We do favorites. Well, to I don't it's funny, Chris, favorites. you picked Angel and the Badman because that's where my school is, where I went to school. That's where I went to high school, really? was where Angel really? and the Badman was shot. That's, oh, that's Oak Creek Canyon. Uh, Bob uh, Bradshaw, twelve miles south of S- Sedona. That was Bob Bradshaw's yeah. western town. He was the, he was the location man, stunt man, local contact man. Anything that happened in Sedona, Bob Bradshaw. In fact, the western town that was he built that too. That was his town. Interesting. Yeah. And, you know, if I was, if I could go back in time, the one thing I'd ask for would be able to be able to just. I wouldn't even have to do stunts or act. I'd even do just mounted extra work to be in a John Ford movie. Yeah. I just, you know, I when I I did I directed this movie called um, um, uh, what was it called um, <laughs> The Ruining, and yes. that was that was one that the guy stole it to be ten minutes, years to finish it. And there was a fellow named That's Lucky Ewing Stone. 
That's and the Lucky Troma. Ewing, uh, well, he went to Troma, right. But Lucky Ewing Brown was the filmmaker. He actually was, was Ed Wood's original DP. I mean, the guy had been around that long, and he'd wow. been a cameraman in World War II. And Lucky, what an amazing Western man. He actually traced his, 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 his family back to Pat Garrett, and he grew up on a ranch, and he came out here and went from being a stuntman to an actor to a producer-director. And um, he was actually in Shane and um, just had all these stories about growing up, um, you know, doing Westerns. And um, he, he, used to, he told a story where he complained about being on a John Ford picture because they had him just ride from point A, point B, and they called signals back and forth to do this and do all that. They all thought he was wasting their time, and what, what Ford was trying to do was to make them look like a real organized cavalry unit. And that's why when you see those movies, um, like she wore a yellow ribbon and the other stuff, they were so drilled in because for every hour they spent on camera, or minute they spent on camera, they spent days just training to uh, to, to get that, that down, that mm-hmm. discipline. But yeah. um, that was... Go ahead, sir. I was trying to remember the, the the he was in all of the Ford pictures, but he was the guy that did all the drilling on it. He had been a cavalry uh, cavalryman and had been an instructor in the cavalry, and so yeah, you're right. They were they were done. They did all the they could do all of the maneuvers, and you know Ford was Ford was just in love with that stuff. That's one of my great regrets too, is for 30 years in the business I never got to work with John Ford. Uh, and that was one of my one of my dreams and goals. I got to work with Wayne and just just you know I was a fly on the wall and just watching and listening and and the stories. Oh man, and just it's a, it you know it's a kid's dream come true. Oh yeah, Chris. Wow. What, what wow. Chris? What have you picked up uh, from John Ford? Uh, maybe not working with him, but uh, obviously you've studied him. How to tell a story? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at all his movies. Um, an actor will deliver a line and then it sits. I mean, watch watch the way they do their eyes and the minutes there. I mean, favorite shot in a Western ever, Searchers. John Wayne's done talking and he sits in that doorway and he kind of grabs yes. his elbow and leans into his hip. It's like that says so much. And he turns around and walks in the sunset. He let that breathe. Oh, that's and, right. You know, I run into this all the time especially because they want they want to they want, you know, so many guys want films cut so fast and this and that. Oh, and if you're on a shot longer than two seconds, you can lose your audience, this and that. And I'm like, yeah. yeah, our brains are different because of the Internet now. But, you know, if you let it breathe and you got the eyes, mm-hmm. the emotion will pull your viewer into it. And uh, I got that from John Ford movies. Well, you know, there's a shot there in The Searchers. That's when they're leaving the cantina. And he stops in the doorway and he turns and he looks. And he's dressed, you know, in that black hat and the dark coat. And... The look in his eye, and he just, like you say, he just stands there. You know, Ford wasn't afraid, like you say, to pause. And that just that look on Wayne, and you see that you'll see that on several books. They've used that image uh, on the cover. Mm-hmm. He just—that's where he's at the bunker. You're talking about the cavalry post. Once they take him into the yes, uh, into yes. the into the room of captives. Yes, and he's looking at them all with such hate and disgust, not pity. Mm-hmm. But hate and disgust because he's convinced that at best this is what his niece will have been turned into, yeah. and in his case she is she was something worse in his mind. That's one of uh, my Chris, favorite. Chris, what pictures. would you? Um, I know you said your favorite films, but who out there that's working in the West? Um, that could be an actor, that could be a director, that could be a writer, that could be a singer. Who is who is? Somebody that's carrying on the Western tradition in the in the in the John Ford, John Wayne, Howard Hawks tradition that you see today. It's under eighty. Yeah, that's, that's, oh, that's well, under. Um, well, I tell you one thing. Uh, this is what this is what excites me about the future. Um, I think Kevin Costner. Yep. There's a reason why people watch Yellowstone, and people that aren't even Western fans love that freaking movie. Why? Because Costner's a real man. Costner is, he, he's, he's a ranch guy. He's going to do what it, I'm not saying we should go out and kill people, but he's, he's a guy that takes care of his family, takes care of the land. We haven't seen a character like that on television in decades. Yeah. Um, not since Justified. And, 
<laughs> there we go. Um, yeah. I, I think I think I, I, so. I, I think I think there's a reason why that show has so much magic, and they they do such a wonderful job on that. I mean, what does he do? He takes drug addicts and turns them into cowboys. You know, he turns them into hands that that, that are talented and can do stuff. And um, I don't know. That's that's just the first thing that comes to mind when you ask me that question. You know, that's a great that's a great example too, because it's like the ranch hands there. They are, you know, they're not modern cowboys. They become traditional cowboys, you know, with the code and and uh, you don't break it and it just and it's you don't you don't get to see that anymore either. We got to take our final break here. We're talking with filmmaker Chris Burgard. This is Abel Francis of Voices of the West, Harry Alexander Bunker to France, Todd Roberts, and we'll be back with much more right after these important messages. Stay tuned. The land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true West, where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond check and stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats. But did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right. It's called Horse It Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horse It Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses, so they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in Southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org. Hi, this is Craig Morgan with a special message for all those who have served in the U.S. Army. The National Museum of the United States Army, to be built at Fort Belvoir, Virginia, will include the Soldier's Registry, an electronic record of Americans who have worn the Army uniform, recognizing their service. I've already added my story to the registry. I hope you'll add yours. To learn more and to make your story a permanent part of the National Army Museum, visit armyhistory.org. Read classic Western comics anytime at voicesofthewest.net. We're back on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker to France. Todd Roberts with us in Los Angeles. Our guest is filmmaker Chris Burgard. And groove into some of the tunes of Spade Cooley. Spade Cooley. <laughs> shot his wife. Shot her, strangled her. Yeah, he did something to yeah, her. Yeah. yeah, he murdered her. He, he went to prison for it. He her. did. And then came back and had, still had a career. Well, and he was, he, was, uh, uh, he was pardoned, 
by Reagan when he was governor of California, but Spade got out and then keeled over. I think he had a heart attack. attack, yeah. yeah. Oh, you know, Chris, I wanted to mention something. Uh, because of you, I spent three hours Friday <laughs> reading your Brett Bart article, Bart, Bart articles, Bart. and I hope I hope to God you you put get them all together and publish them as a book because they're great, they're concise, they're short. It, it doesn't stretch anybody's uh, reading ability or imagination. It's just good, solid, to the point storytelling about what the situation is. Wow. Oh, my Lord. Um, gosh, you just, I'm glad I'm sitting down. I <laughs> forgot I even wrote most of those things. <laughs> Write that <You> down. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you, want, if you want to head up that project, I'll, give you, I'll be all behind you. I mean, you know, if, if, it wasn't, if it wasn't for Andrew, Andrew was a very good friend of mine, and my wife and I would have sold oh. our ranch from California and moved in 2007. And Andrew... He talked me out of it, and, um, you know, we prayed a lot about it, and we kind of felt like God had us in Nineveh for a reason. And um, he was he was right, because the work we've been able to do, you know, in the last 13, 14 years, um, it's bigger than I ever would have thought. I never, it's not something I thought we would have been pulled into, um, but we were called to do it, and if I would have left, that stuff never would have happened. So Andrew was right about that, and... Um, it's um, I, I I can't tell you what it means to me that someone's read those articles and they're still they're they're they're, they're still out there. That that's outstanding. Thank you, sir, for they're telling awesome. me that. Also, I got another question for you. What's the story you, behind Ten Horde Flats closing? Oh my gosh, Lucas! Good question. So, for those of you that don't know the story about Ten Horde Flats, Ten Horde Flats, uh, Burbank. Burbank is in the valley, but it's really, we can call it part of Hollywood. And there's so many good, um, like, film tools about there. There's good production houses. Kappa is one of the best production houses in Hollywood. They're out there. Um, and just down the road from them is this place called Tinhorn Flats. And it's a little bar, restaurant, that mostly locals go to. It's got a little patio in the back. And because of COVID, um, our governor out here said, oh, it's not safe to operate business, shut your business, shut your business. And these guys got to the point where, you know, their their employees couldn't pay their rent. These guys couldn't pay their mortgage. I mean, it was, it, they were going to lose the place. So they said, you know what, we just can't do it anymore. We're going to follow their guidelines. We're going to open back up, and we're going to do this. So they opened up. They made people wear masks, and they came, and they shut them down. And they opened back up again. So then they, uh, what, what did the city do first? Um, they, they put locks on the doors. So they cut the locks off and they kept doing it. Then they cut off the electricity at the power line so they didn't have a power line. So they brought in generators and then they put plywood up over the doors and nailed that shut. So they came in and they cut off the plywood <laughs> and they went back to work. Then they put up plywood and then they stacked uh, sandbags in front of it and Lucas got arrested for the third time. This kid's like 21, 22 years old. He owns this place with his dad. Lucas comes in there and gets arrested while he's jerking off the, uh, the the sandbags away from the doors to get back in his own building. This is a building that they own on their own land that they own, and now if you go there, the doors are boarded up, there's sandbags in front of that, and then they put a fence all the way around a brand new fence with no gate on it, all around the entire property from the alley to the front seat to the back. You can't get near it to punish this guy and to make and, and now Burbank is open. It's like 50%. You go to the restaurants. You're supposed to wear a mask. Most people don't. Um, Stupid. But the fear they put in the people by making an example of Lucas, they put so much fear into That's every other story. small business owner, restaurant owner out there. And now the other restaurants are open, and Lucas can't open his restaurant. And um, I've, I've never, I've never, I've never seen anything like this in the United States of America. And it, it, people listening, you probably think, oh, you're exaggerating this and that. No, you need to see this. You need to see what's happened to, you know, a, a good family that do nothing more than wanted to take care of their employees and, and, and do a business. Hmm. And I don't want to get into the whole pandemic thing, but if people who are shutting this restaurant down were, were right, if you know L.A., we have, you know, 
we've got more homeless people than we do cowboys in Los mm-hmm. Angeles. Oh, and okay. the pandemic was what they said it was. Our streets will be littered with dead homeless people. Yeah. Well, that's not happening. But yet we've lost 60... I, I, I don't want to quote me on this, but I, I think it's anywhere between 35 and 65% of small-owned family business yep. restaurants have been put out of business by yep. this. They're dead. They're gone. And in America, this shouldn't happen, but we're surviving it out here. This has been war on the churches. This has been war on, on, on businessmen. It's been war on the middle class. Uh, we just had another victory out here. Our church out here, our pastor, Rob um, McCoy, opened the church back up, as did, as did um, um, uh, Pastor Jack down at, at, at uh, Calvary Church, Chino Hills, and our church, uh, Godspeak, Calvary Church Godspeak. Um, these guys opened their churches back up, and Newsom and, and, and the government tried to make examples out of them. They hauled Rob into court three times, and then they came and they, they said, look, if you, this is last year, they said, if you guys have service this Sunday, we're going to rescue you, and we're going to cite the first thousand people that come to your church. And, oh, my gosh, we had people from all over the state mm. come and just surround our church mm. saying, arrest me first yeah. um, so that they can do this. And you, know what the Ventura, you know what the Ventura County Sheriff's Department didn't? Because I'm going to tell you, there's some cowboys in the Ventura County Sheriff's Department. These are good, good guys. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't arrest a single person. They, didn't, they didn't care what they said. Good. Yeah. And so, that, so what you're seeing with Lucas, you're seeing him stand up. He's a great American. His family's a good American. You're seeing the churches stand up. There's, there's some crazy stuff going on out here. And with that, we are plumb out of time, Chris, and you're a great American, too. Thank you so much for awesome joining show. us uh, this afternoon. We really appreciate it, and uh, good luck on your film venture, man. Yes. Thank you so much. Hope to, uh, when uh, Bunker and I come out to Los Angeles to visit Todd, we hope uh, we can squeeze a visit in with you. Yeah, we'll get some yeah. ra- get some fried rattlesnake. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll have an oat will grow. All right. Um, All right. You have an open invitation to the ranch, and thank you, fellas. It's thank been you. an honor. You guys have a blessed week. Thank you so much. All right, that's all the time we have for this edition of Amal Franzi's Voices of the West. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back next Saturday. I have no idea what we're doing. Something. <laughs> but it'll be good. I guarantee it. Because it always is. Yes, it is. 78, 79, and 80. So long, everybody. Thanks for listening to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West.